So indeed, it is a tremendous pleasure, honor to be with you here in worship at this local body of Christ. Why don't you pray with me? Gracious and eternal Father, how holy, how righteous, how faithful, how good you are. As was prayed earlier, you are a good, good father. There's no one better. No one can, no one can treat us as good as you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for being Abba. Thank you for being near. Though you are transcendent, yet you are imminent. You are with us in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, no matter what situation or circumstance, you have promised that you would be near because you are faithful. So upon this morning, O oh Lord, we thank you for your steadfast love and faithfulness. And we ask, O oh Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit that you would indeed forgive us for our sins for the ways we have been disobedient and unfaithful towards you and how we have been sinful towards one another. But thank you, O oh Lord, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all iniquity. Lord, that is good news, and we thank you for the glorious news of the gospel. But Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, and as we come right now, O oh Lord, I ask that you would pour out upon us a spirit of, uh, uh, that we would be able to worship you in spirit and in truth please open our eyes and ears to your word please prepare our hearts for what thus saith the lord and father i am not equipped i am not able and i am not worthy but yet and still by your own choice by your sovereign will and a love you have declared you have called the people to yourself and you are so good at using broke people to do your glorious work so right now, O oh Lord, we just pause to adore you, to praise you, and to lift you up as we seek to be faithful in not only hearing, but the doing of your word this morning. We love you, kind Father. In Jesus' name we do pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Indeed, welcome this morning to this church gathered at Forest Baptist. Uh, grateful that you're able to be in worship or watching us online, and if you would at this moment grab your copy of God's word and turn with me to Matthew the 24th chapter Matthew the 24th chapter and as we are at the latter ends of the gospel of Matthew as we're finishing up uh, Jesus is uh, giving some of his last words and counsels and instructions to his disciples. Uh, so in these last few chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, indeed, it is so important that we do hear God's word. Uh, all of the Gospel of Matthew is vitally important, but to know that the end of your life is coming, the end of your time and service here on, on earth is, is coming, uh, I'm pretty sure that we would measure our words to make sure what needed to be communicated is communicated at the right time. And here we are at one of these moments here in Scripture. Matthew, the 24th chapter, uh, let us take verses 1 through 35 this morning. Verses 1 through 35. So if you are able to stand with us, please stand in honor of the reading of God's word this morning.
This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Jesus left the temple, was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pangs. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And, to, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation, Spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in the house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not come in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation. For such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And in those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do, do not go out. They say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give us light. And the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of the heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender, and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, 
This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass. May the Lord a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. I'd just like to place a tag upon the text for us. People get ready. The end of the age is coming. People get ready. The end of the age is coming. You know, I never made it to be a Boy Scout. The furthest I got was to be a Cub Scout. And, uh, but I do remember being lined up in the gymnasium at the beginning of every session, and uh, we would recite the, the pledge together. We would, what did you do, hold up the three fingers and, and say the pledge on my honor. I would do my best to do my duty to God and my country and to obey the scout law, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake, and morally right. It's a pretty good pledge right there. But you know what? Out of all the things I learned in the Cub Scouts, I, I, I probably forgot everything else. <laughs> uh, even though I went, even though uh, we've, I participated, even though I had a really good time, uh, I forgot most of the things I learned. But there was two things that stuck with me in my time in Cub Scouts, two things. I know how to tie a square knot. I could tie a bad square knot. But that's the only knot I know how to tie. But secondly, what stuck with me was the Boy Scout, Scout motto. What's that motto? Be prepared. Be prepared. Be in this state of readiness in mind and body in order to do your duty. Be prepared. This is something that really stuck with me my entire life now, and wherever I go, and whenever we travel as a family, I always try to be prepared. My wife laughs at me because I have so much stuff. I make sure uh, I don't just have the aspirin. I make sure I have the ibuprofen, the aspirin, uh, the uh, Aleve, and the Excedrin, just in case the type of pain you have. I make sure we have the tweezers, the band-aids. I make sure we got the cough syrup. I make sure... We got the flashers. I make sure we got the bags, the tissue, the garbage bags. I, I, I make sure we got everything as we go because I like to be prepared. Uh, I'm one of those people that when you're on a trip, they're like, man, I wish I had some. Oh, you need some, you, oh, you need some, et cetera. Oh, you need some sinus med. Oh, I got you because I always like to be prepared. A running joke between my friend and I, as we were preparing to board the flight to Zimbabwe, I said, are you ready? And I loved his reply. He said to me, he looked back, he said, if you stay ready, then you ain't got to get ready. So I try to stay ready. And beloved, as Christians, if we stay ready, we ain't got to get ready. And this is what Jesus is talking about here in the 24th chapter as he is educating his disciples on what is to come, that future which is to come. What is going to take place after his resurrection? And he wants them to be ready. And if they were to stay ready, when these events occurred, they would be ready. He, his intentions is to help them to be prepared. But not only are these words of preparation, these are words of prophecy. 
because Jesus is foretelling future events that are yet to happen. This is one of those passages that are are very interesting because uh, most all of us, we want to know what's going to happen in the days to come. When will Jesus return? And Jesus is pointing to these future events in the life of our disciples. So as we look at the 24th chapter, we this is an easy passage, isn't it? No, not at all. This is one of the most toughest passages of Scripture to interpret, to preach, and to go through. So let us approach this text with great humility, asking that the Lord will give us insight and clarity. But as, even as Jesus is preparing his disciples for what is coming in the future, the reality is that both in Jesus' day and in our day, the last thing that people have on their minds is the return of Jesus. I mean, honestly, how often do you think about the fact that one day Jesus will return and the end of the age will come and only the elect will rule and reign with Jesus? Like, honestly, you may have thought that and you may think that, but would your life reflect that? Would your life reflect the type of preparation for Jesus' imminent return? Or would you be found lost and wanting, unprepared? Beloved, as Christians, if our minds are never set on heavenly things, then we will be of no earthly good. If we don't take enough time to think about heaven, to consider what Jesus is doing and, and what is going to happen, then we will be no earthly good because if anything, people want to know what's going to happen. People are uh, in the midst of fear and trepidation because they're wondering what's going to happen. They're wondering what's going to take place next week. They're wondering what's going to take place next year. Will COVID ever end? Will there ever be unity? Will there ever be peace? Will there, will there, will there? But, but for the people of God, we have a lot of those answers, though not completely, but a lot of the very questions that people are asking, we have the answers. Oh, would we be so bold enough to speak up? This is why I believe the big idea of the passage before us this morning is simply Christians should be aware and be ready for the return of Jesus and the end of the age. Christians should be aware and be ready for the return of Jesus and the end of the age. This portion of scripture is commonly known as the Olivet Discourse. This, this is the last of five discourses we have walked through in the book of Matthew. So the, the last time of Jesus' extended conversation with his disciples before he goes to the cross, before he is crucified, before the resurrection and the ascension. And this is a complex passage. This passage of Scripture has been subject to, mu- to a, a much eschatological debate. Eschatology, doctrine of the final things, is a form of theology. It's the form of theology where people are uh, debate back and forth whether they are premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial. It's whether you are pre-trib, post-trib, or mid-trib. See, most of us, uh, we don't even know what, what that even means. A pre-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation rapture. How is Jesus coming back? But you know what? For all the debate that we have on, on that, that is not Jesus' point here. His point, let us not miss the forest for the trees. 
Don't get so caught up in the details that you overlook what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Jesus is saying that Jerusalem will fall and I'm coming back. Simple as that. And what he is doing is giving us an example of how prophecy looks in Scripture. We've seen it in the Old Testament this same way, so we want to take that same hermeneutic and apply it to what Jesus is saying. Because whenever there's a type of prophecy in the Old Testament, it usually has a duality to it. It, it usually has a, a two-foldness where there's a, a current reality and a future reality. The uh, perfect example is in the book of Isaiah when he is prophesying that a, vi- a virgin will, will bear a child. And that, and that uh, birth will be the sign that this uh, event was going to take place in their lives. But however, we look in the New Testament and see that was twofold. That was both in that moment, but looking forward, foreshadowing that Jesus is coming too. And that's what Jesus is doing. So as we examine the text and as we try to interpret it, look at it in a duality. Uh, We have a tendency, especially in, in our Western thought, for everything to be systematic and chronological. But in ancient Near Eastern thought, it it wasn't just chronological. It wasn't like a step-by-step-by-step. Step step. As a matter of fact, what Jesus is doing here is called a prophetic foreshortening. And what that means is it's taking a reality that's really far off and, and bringing it closer to than what it really is. So an example, another example of that would be if you've ever uh, been anywhere and seen the mountains, and like you're driving up to the mountains, maybe you're going down to Gatlinburg, maybe you, you're going to the Rockies, or maybe you're going out west, and you see that mountain range in the horizon, right? And as you drive up, that it, it, it looks like one big mountain, right? It looks like it's one big thing together, but the closer you get, you begin to see the distance between the mountains. You be- begin to see the distance between the ranges, and so... So what you are seeing is a foreshortening. What you see, thinking it is close together, is really further apart. So a lot of times when we're looking at prophecy in the scriptures, we want to be mindful that Jesus is speaking of a both now and later, a foreshortening and a foreshadowing of what is to come. So it's through that hermeneutic lens that I want us to approach this scripture. But ultimately, we have to be reminded of Deuteronomy 29, 29. What is that? And like we won't we won't know everything, will we? But the secret things belong to the Lord. If we knew everything, if we were authoritative on everything, then we would be God. But but the Lord said, no, I'm going to give you enough for you to live on today. I'm going to give you enough so you would just be faithful today. Stop work. See, if, if, if Jesus really unfolded everything, we would be overwhelmed. If Jesus would have showed you where you are right now and how you got there, you would have said, no, nah, I'm, I'm straight, Jesus. I don't even want to go through that. But praise God that he took you through because you're on the other side of a situation that you, you can only look back and say, but God. So he doesn't show us everything, but he shows us enough to be faithful right now. And ultimately, 
Again, Jesus' point is that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. This world is going to pass away, but Jesus is going to return. I've heard one, uh, one gentleman describe it. I- instead of him being premillennial, postmillennial, or amillennial, he says he's panmillennial. Like, what does that mean? I believe it's all going to pan out in the end. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to rule, and he's going to reign, and he's going to be declared king of kings and lord of lords. And we see from the scriptures already that every knee will bow, shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But in the meantime, we get a preview. And this passage is initiated by two questions from the disciples. When will these things be, and what will be the sign? of your coming and the end of the age. So basically the disciples are asking the when and what of the end times. So this is what I want us to do. And, and prayerfully, we all have some type of curiosity. We care about what's going to happen. So this week, we, we're going to make this two parts, dealing with those two questions, when and what. So this week, we're going to take a look at, at Jesus' first answer to the disciples' question. And his answer is simply, be aware. Be aware of what's going, to, what's going to happen. But then secondly, next time we're together, we'll take a look at Jesus' uh, second answer of be ready. Be ready. So quickly, prayerfully, let us look at, I believe, five things that Jesus wants his disciples to be aware of regarding the future to come. I believe there's five things there. The first thing that I believe Jesus wants us to be aware of It's the great chaos and calamity to come. Jesus wants his disciples to be aware of the great chaos and calamity to come. So, again, on the heels of his uh, declaration of judgment and woes to the uh, religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees, and his declaration like, oh, Jerusalem, if you just would have listened, if you would have paid attention, I would have covered you and kept you. But then as they're walking away, they're leaving the city and they're coming through a trail on the Mount of Olives. They can look back over the mountain down onto the temple and see how exquisite the temple is, to see how beautiful the temple is. And the disciples are in a complete awe looking at the beauty of the temple. And they point out, look at those buildings, Jesus. It's just glorious. And Jesus says, not one stone is going to be left. And in the verse 3 after the disciples hear that, they, they begin to wonder, he, he means the temple is going to be destroyed. Why would that happen? When would that happen? And they come to Jesus privately, and they ask him the what and when. And Jesus simply responds to them by giving them a, a, a answer that says uh, that uh, as this calamity comes, you need to be aware that that chaos and confusion to come, a lot of it is just part of just normal life. This is uh, Jesus saying that as you are going through life, many will come saying that the end is here because of world events. But But that's not the end yet. He specifically says it. But the end is not yet. And he wants his disciples to understand that there will be conflict. There will be natural disasters. 
but these are natural to life. And he says again, all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So as we are looking out over the world and the, and the world events from time past to now, what Jesus does in saying this is to help us to not to be too prideful to think our situations are much different from people in the past. Because it's easy to think that you got it worse than everybody else has ever had it before. And what Jesus wants us to know that because calamities and natural disasters are part of regular life, you need to be faithful in the midst of suffering. Continue to be faithful. Don't be so concerned about the end that you pack things up and you just ready to go. You, you got your bag packed and you're like, Jesus, come and get me. I'm ready. No, he's like, no, even in the midst of all the chaos and the confusion, you still be faithful to the mission. You still be faithful to bringing me glory. You still be faithful to being my witnesses. You still be faithful to loving God and loving others. You still be faithful. Don't get so caught up on what's going on out there that you forget what I caused you to do down there. Just be faithful. And Jesus wants his disciples to be aware of the end of the age, yet not to let every world event alarm you. But there are many people in our day who will see a, a, a world event and they see, the, they see the coming of Jesus under every single bush. They, yeah, let me, you know I keep it 100. So like when people be like, yeah, uh, that vaccine, the sign of the beast, no it ain't. No it ain't. Because the sign of the beast, we will see after the abomination of desolation. And not just the past, but the, we're going to look at it, not just the past event, but there's a future event too. So some, there's some specific things that need to take place. That's why Jesus is saying, chill out, calm down. These are but labor pains. Do we understand pregnancy? I'm sure some of y'all do. And before a, a, a baby is birthed, before a child comes into the world, there are some things that take place. There's there, the, the, the pregnancy, the, the, the weight gain, the, the child growing, the, uh, uh, the, the, the contractions that start, and, and all, and all of the, the small things that they, it's one contraction every two hours, one hour, half hour. Like every, every couple seconds, like, like there's a lot of things that are, th these are mere birth pain, birth pain. So, so what Jesus is saying, don't be, don't be so alarmed and scared that you're distracted from doing what I called you to do. So that's a word from us because what I believe that Jesus is ultimately wanting to apply to our lives, he is saying, don't allow others to capture your attention through fear of the normal events of life. Don't you know that fear is a powerful drug? People prey upon your fear to get you to buy stuff. People prey upon your fear to get you to align yourself with their purposes. If they can make somebody else the boogeyman, then they, they, they have an enemy that you can coalesce, you can group around and now fight against. All by using fear. But beloved, when it comes to Jesus and his church, we ain't got to be scared. 
because Jesus said himself, and the gates of hell should never prevail against my church. And you know, I, we know what the gates are. It, it, was in the, it was in the gates where authority and rules and legislation was made. It was at the gates that, that leaders got together and put together the law and ruled on stuff. He's saying no legislation, no ruling, no, nothing that man can do will ever prevail against my church. So even if people are trying to fearmonger you, you ain't got, you guess I ain't never scared because Jesus got me. And we don't have to fall in, into those fearful traps. So Jesus wants his disciples to be aware of the great chaos and calamity to come. But then secondly, Jesus wants his disciples to be aware of the great persecution that is to come. In verses 9 through 14, Jesus goes on to begin to tell them that as these birth pains begin to uh, unfold, that they will begin to be delivered up to persecution, to tribulation, to suffering. And, and followers and genuine followers of Jesus Christ will be put to death for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Not because of their name's sake. So, so in a sense... If you just putting on like you're a Christian, you really ain't got to be scared. But if you are, are you, if you're the real deal, I'm following Jesus because I know he saved me. He brought me out. He gave me a new heart. He gave me a new mind. He gave me a new walk. If you belong to the kingdom of God, then it says you're going to be persecuted not for your sake, not for your decision, not for your behavior, not because you're, you're difficult and challenging, but because you love Jesus. And when that happens, not only will the world begin to hate you, but those who claim to be Christian will hate you because he says, and many will fall away. And not only will many fall away, but they will begin to hate one another. And false prophets will come. And because of all this lawlessness and sin, the love that God wants to pour out, it will begin to grow cold. People will just be evil and short with one another. What Jesus is saying is part of this uh, great persecution to come is the fact that people will fail completely to love God and to love neighbor. Many will fall away. That's apostasy. They turn their back on God. These quote-unquote people who are deconstructing their faith, they're turning away. They're walking away from Christianity. They fail to love God, and then we will begin to betray one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and, and lawlessness will be increased. This is the opposite of Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, where he says, and, and love neighbor as yourself. Now it's all about self. So we see these things taking place. We see it. Uh, permeating the culture where it's all about me. It's not about how can I care for you, how can I serve you. It's all about what I want and my preferences. A failure to love God and love neighbor. This is part of the great persecution. But what Jesus says, in the midst of this great persecution, there's a purifying aspect. Because he says, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. You want to know if you're really saved? You want to know if you really belong to Jesus? When hell or when all hell breaks loose, you still going to be holding on to the cross. Because the one who, who perseveres to the end will be saved. 
And not only will you be saved through your perseverance, but you will you will receive a newfound passion because he says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And once this good gospel touches everybody, touches every nation in some way, then the end will come. I believe what Jesus is saying here is that the failure of cultural Christianity will reveal will reveal true witnesses for Jesus. I've said it. I said it before. I said again, we are living in a cultural season where cultural Christianity ain't going to hold you. Superficial uh, quoting of the scripture is ain't going to keep you. You're going to need to be firmly grounded like the. Uh, like the like the man in Psalm one who is planted uh, by flowing streams of water, whose leaves does not wither and is, bears fruit in the season. One whose whose faith has gone deep, even as the the storms are raging around. You're not gonna you're not gonna fall over because your your roots go so deep. So just showing up to church because you're supposed to ain't gonna keep you. Just acting like you're saved in front of the right people ain't gonna keep you. But those who hold on to the Lord, th those who really can say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The one who is led by the Lord, only those will be able to stand in these days. Thirdly, though, Jesus wants his disciples to be aware that there is great tribulation to come. He says this in verses 15 to 28, where he points out that uh, so, so, so all this is taking place, he said, but when you see. The abomination of that causes desolation or the abomination of desolation in the temple, then you better get ready to run. This phrase, you know, it, and it kind of it, it makes me laugh, too, because. It says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. I'm like, what? Let the reader understand. Like, Jesus, this is hard stuff to understand. But he's really referring back to Daniel in the ninth chapter. We don't have to turn, but Daniel was prophesying about an abomination of desolation, a, a sacrilegious and unclean, heretical type leader would come into the temple and instead of offering sacrifices to the Lord, would begin offering sacrifices to themselves, would begin to sit in the temple to be worshipped themselves, Anything, any remnant of the worship of God will be removed and uh, uh, complete heresy and uh, wickedness will just uh, permeate the place. This is what Daniel was talking about. And again, Jesus is talking twofold. He's talking specifically that the temple in Jerusalem that they see right now is going to be destroyed. And that takes place in A.D. 70. Where after the Jewish revolt, Rome comes in and utterly destroys and destroys and defiles the temple, and, and 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 just wreaks havoc in Jerusalem. But also, not only is that an an event that takes place in AD seventy, but in Second Thessalonians two, three, and four, Paul puts it this way. Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction, 
who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So at that point, the great tribulation takes place that a, a time of un, unequal pain, unequal suffering, unequal, uh, unequal persecution. This is a moment of severe suffering, a moment of uh, severe urgency. What does Jesus say? You, uh, sitting on the roof was something, basically their roof was like another room. It's kind of like the porch. They'll go up on the porch and chill. He's saying, if you're chilling on the porch and this takes place, don't go downstairs and try to pack, pack a lunch. You need to get up out and flee to the mountains now. He says to the one who is in the field, don't go back and get your cloak. As they would go into the field in the mornings, they would have multiple cloaks. And as the day would get warmer, they would take their cloaks off and set it by, set it in a place and then go out to work. What he's saying is, uh, if this is to take place, don't go back and get your cloak. Just take off. Just take off running. You know, you know how y'all do. Well, most of us should do. You standing there and the crowd start running. You won't even look at what happened. You just start running too. He's saying it's time for you to flee. Don't wait around. But then he also says in those times of great persecution that the most vulnerable will be helpless. He talks about the, the, the pregnant women. And he says, pray that it's not in the winter or on a Sabbath. In the winter will be the rainy days and it will wash out the road so you wouldn't be able to travel. Or on the Sabbath, according to their law, you only were supposed to go so far on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, you better pray that, that, that you're in the right situation to get out of there because it's going to be terrible. And these are the times that are coming for us. But praise be to God uh, that he says that even, in, even though all this is taking place, even, this great even though this great tribulation is taking place, he says, but I'm still in control. How do I know? He says that because he says, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would have been saved. Who going to cut those days short? Our Father which art in heaven. He is saying that I, I'm going to wreak havoc on the world so much so that had it not been for my hand holding back, everyone would fall, even the elect. And what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, look, Ultimately, there's no need for speculation when I come, because when I come, you're going to see it. It's going to be like that lightning bolt that goes from the east to the west. Everyone will be able to see. Like vultures circling around a corpse. You, 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 see a, you see a circling, so you know there's a dead body over there. A carcass. I'm coming back. So what Jesus wants us to understand and, and apply to our lives is though God is foot. It's full, it is in full control. Christians should still have a sense of urgency for the loss right now. You know, many of us are living by that, that saying, why do today what I can put off for tomorrow? That produces an apathy inside the Christian heart, thinking that we got time. Oh, I got time to share the gospel with them. I got time to share Jesus. I got time to, to witness. But what Jesus is saying is these events are going to unfold so quickly that you won't have the time you think you have. And that even though he's in control, you need to live with a sense of urgency about those around you. Fourthly, 
Jesus wants disciples to be aware of the great judgment to come. In verses 29 through 31, it talks about Jesus after these events, after the tribulation, immediately after that, he is coming. And as he comes, he says that the star, the sun will darken and the moon will not give us light and the stars will fall from heaven. He's talking about this cataclysmic darkness that will fall over the land. But notice, on Calvary's cross, when sin is judged through the sacrifice of Jesus, everything goes dark. And just as he comes back, all sin will be judged once again through darkness. And we see that when Jesus comes, not only will darkness come, but it says, all the tribes of the earth shall mourn. You can look at this in two different ways. One way is to look at it in the sense of that when Jesus comes, they're, they're mourning in repentance. But I would kind of yield to the latter that they are mourning in judgment. And why do I believe that? I believe that because in Revelation 19, it says when Jesus is coming back, he's coming to judge, right? Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open up and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed, clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun with a loud voice. He called to all the birds to fly directly overhead. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who was in his presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. When Jesus comes back, he came previously as the Lamb of God. Now he's coming as the Lion of Judah to rule and to reign. He ain't playing. All those who would dare stand against his rule and reign will be conquered. Beloved, this is real life. This is not Lord of the Rings. Where do you think Lord of the Rings gets this from? They're considering how Jesus is coming. He is the king, the return of the king. Oh, beloved. But even in the midst of that, he just previously said, but his elect, he's going to gather all of them. He says from the four winds, 
That just points out the compass from north, south, east, and west. No matter where you are, he's coming to get you. Judgment has been reserved for sinners and salvation reserved for the saints. Beloved, sin is real. And sin is defined by God. We're in a culture in a season where if if you define anything as sin, they looking at you like you crazy. What's wrong with you? I'm living my best life now. You can't tell me why I'm not telling you. I'm revealing what thus saith the Lord, trying to trying to give you a word in order that you would be saved from this 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 damnation. From this judgment. Lastly. I believe Jesus wants his disciples to be aware of the great salvation to come. Because in verse 32, he begins to talk about the fig tree and how. As the leaves of the fig tree in the summer come, you know the fruit is about to come. So as the disciples are going about their lives, they need to pay attention to see when the leaves come because they know the fruit will come. They know that Jesus will return and everything is going to be all right. So he's telling his disciples to pay attention. Because Jesus' coming will be imminent after the destruction of the temple. At any period of time, these events could begin to take place. And then he says, this generation will not pass until all these things takes place. Again, I believe that's a twofold reference. I believe he says this generation in the sense that that generation would see the temple destroyed in A.D. 70, but also is looking forward to those at the end of the age. But this is our hope. He says, heaven and earth will pass away. All this stuff is going to fall. All this persecution, all this chaos is going to happen. And all you see will go away. But my words will not pass away. And the reason why that's so important. Because in the words of Jesus is the promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the words of Jesus is the fact that you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. In the words of Jesus is the promise that I, all whom the Lord has given to me, I have kept in my hand and I will not lose one. In the words of Jesus is that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What he's saying is, though this world may be failing and fall away, if your hope is in this world, your hope is going to fall. But if your hope is built on nothing less than my word and my righteousness, then your hope will never falter, fall, or fail. Because all of my promises are yes and amen. Isaiah 40 and 8, though the grass withers and the flowers may fade, but the word of the Lord shall stand forever. Beloved, if you're going to make any type of investment, you need to be putting that word in you. Stop worrying about that roast beef sandwich. You start worrying about putting that word in you. Because that roast beef sandwich is going to come in and go out, but the word of God is going to stand forever. The only treasure, the only treasure that you'll be able to take the glory with you is the word of God that you have filled yourself with. Uh, the only thing that can go with you, can't no uh, trucks follow after your casket. Can't no bank accounts follow after your casket. But the only thing that can follow after your casket is if you proclaim that, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
That's something that will follow you from now until eternity. His promises are all yes and amen. So what does that mean for us? Jesus says in Luke 21, 34, what that means for us. He says, but watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down in dissipation and drunkenness and care of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Why, why does this matter to us? Jesus says, don't get so caught up in your life. Don't get so caught up in your pleasure. Don't get so caught up in doing what you want to do. Don't be so caught up in, 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 in YOLO and you only live once. Don't be so caught up in, in doing your thing. He says you need to be paying attention because it's going to come quick. Are you so caught up in your life that you're completely unaware of what will be required of your life? Beloved, not only does Daniel see the abomination of desolation, God gave him another vision. And in Daniel, the seventh chapter, in verse 13, he says this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Oh, beloved, may we trust in the kingdom that Jesus has been made the, the ruler over, because this is he. And he says that this is the type of kingdom that uh, is spoken of of Hebrews, that this is the, the type of kingdom that cannot be shaken by earthly events. This is the type of kingdom that will not pass away, will not fade away. But this is the kingdom that will last for all eternity. And access to that kingdom is only through Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be saved. To live under the sovereign, secure, and supreme rule of Jesus for all eternity. To be saved doesn't mean you just get to go to heaven. To be saved means that Jesus is your Lord. I am his and he is mine. This is why the scriptures always say, today is the day of salvation. Beloved, are you ready for the end? Of the age. Father, thank you for this time, for your word, for the treasure that it is. Thank you for giving us understanding, even limited, but it's from you. And Father, even today as we leave, you have already declared as your promise, as your word that never fails, that he who lacks wisdom, let him ask, and you would give liberally, Lord. So if there's anything that we just don't understand, Father, please give us wisdom today to rightly understand, to rightly interpret, but more so that we would rightly live before you for your glory. Father, thank you for this time. And Father, help us to be urgent in our service to others and in our surrender to you.
These things we ask in the precious name of Jesus the Christ we do pray. Amen. Beloved, as the scriptures say, today is the day of salvation.